2 Timothy in the fourth chapter in verse 6, Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege in the faith. And he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith and there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day and not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. And we'll share on that today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can open it and we can hear from you. Lord, we need to hear from you. You've given us your revealed nature and character in your word. And you've given us comfort by the thousands in this special, special uh, scripture that you've given to us. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you illuminate it to us today. You build us up with it today in the way that only you can. The way that cuts down even to our heart, the division of our soul and our spirit. God, you can get all the way to our center and our core and do work with this word. And I thank you for the power that you have vested in it, that you've made available for us in Jesus name. Amen. So for all those who have loved his appearing, how many ways are there that you can communicate love to someone else? So many, right? There's so many ways that you can communicate love, regardless of what the relationship is. You, you, you've got touch, you've got time, you've got words of affirmation, you've got gifts, you've got acts of service, etc., etc. Et it, it just keeps on going all the ways that you can communicate love. Think about somebody that you love that loves you back. What if your love for them, their love for you was restricted to only one means of expression. Just one. That was all you got. You didn't get any of the other ones. You only got the one. That would be pretty crummy, wouldn't it? That wouldn't be very good, right? If I only told Kelly that I loved her, but I never was able to spend time with her, never able to, to give her a hug, never able to give her a gift, right? That, that would be so limited, if it was restricted to that. So I'm so glad that God has given us multiple ways of experiencing and knowing his great love for us. Amen. He's not given us just one way, one avenue, that that's the only one that we get. He's given us so many different ways that we can experience his great love for us. And today we're going to talk about one of those when we talk about communion. And, and how I want to connect that to the verse that we started with when we say all those who have loved his appearing. Paul is getting close to the end of his life and he said, but I'm going to be OK because the Lord has waiting for me a crown of righteousness that he, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. But not to me only. He's like, I'm not anybody special. This is for everybody who has loved his Appearing, And I just love that phrase, those that have loved the appearing of Jesus. And obviously he's talking specifically about the second coming. When Christ comes back again, he said, all those who have looked forward to that. But I was like, Lord, we can use it for more 
than that. Because if you love his appearing, let me put it this way. How can you love his appearing without loving him? You can't, right? So how can you love him without loving everything about him? And how can you love everything about him and not love every time he shows up in your life? Every time the, the, the spirit of Jesus, his life is made manifest in front of you. We love every appearance of him, every manifestation of him in this life. Even just going out and seeing a beautiful day is a manifestation of Jesus in our life. Because scripture tells us that even nature, creation testifies of him. And we've seen that when we stood before something way bigger and way more beautiful than we ever could have imagined. To, we're just filled with that awe. And a believer has a place to put it. An unbeliever just goes, this is not, but they don't know what, what to do with it other than that. For the believer, it rolls up in worship and we see Christ even in that. And today, the appearing that we're going to talk about, the manifestation of Christ in our life that I want to talk about is communion. The Lord's Supper, it's one of those Appearance. We see him in the bread. We see him in the cup and we're going to partake in communion today. But first, I wanted to teach on it a little bit. Bless the table, in other words. And, and I want to start in John chapter six. I wouldn't have thought I would have started here, but this is where we're going to start in John chapter six. And there's a whole lot going on in John chapter six. So I'm not going to be able to read it all. We don't have enough time. I may not have enough energy to read it all, but I want to bring you up to speed on what's going on in John chapter six before we get to the, the section that I'm going to read. The, the setup here is Jesus has just at the beginning of chapter six, what we call fed, fed the 5,000. Remember that? He took uh, five loaves and two fish and blessed them, broke them and fed 5,000 People, they say, you know, men not counting women and children. So fed thousands of people with just one little boy's lunch, a miraculous event, an amazing miracle that these people got to see. And then after that, we, we have the story about Jesus walking on the water to get to the other side of the water, right over to the other side. And it says the people, when they realized that Jesus wasn't there, they hurried to follow behind him. The people that he fed are now chasing him down, wanting to follow him. And when they catch up with him, he tells them, you're only following me because I fed you. You're not following me because you believe on me for who I am. I'm encouraging you to believe on me as the one that God sent. And then they got smart and then they said, well, what sign are you going to give us so that we'll know we can believe on you? Now, not be, he did just feed 5,000 people. So what are they really saying? We want to see something else cool. Hey, how about another meal? That one you fed us yesterday. How about you do that again? My brother wasn't here then. He's here now. He'd like to see it too. That sandwich was good. A miracle fish sandwich. They wanted to see it Again, what, what sign are, are, are you going to give us? And they even gave him a hint. They said, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Hint, hint. We're hungry. We'd like for you to feed us again. That was awesome. He said, they said, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, which meant it was when the children of Israel were, had come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness and God fed them miraculously with bread from heaven that would just show up on the ground six days a week. It was, it, it, we don't have time to go into it, but it's just awesome. 
And they said they, they got to eat that. That was a sign that they got. And what sign are you going to give us? Again, hint, hint, feed us. That'd be great. And Jesus told them, he said, Moses didn't give them that manna. Moses, the leader of them, didn't give them that manna. He said, that came from God. And what I'm telling you is the same God who sent that bread from heaven has sent you better bread from heaven. And he said, this is the bread that will lead you to eternal life. And they were like, this sounds awesome. Hook us up with that bread. This sounds better bread than manna. He's going to do better bread than manna this time, guys. Let's get ready. And he said, no, I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven. God has sent me the bread of life. And if you'll believe, you'll have eternal life. And then they started thinking, did he just say he came down from heaven? Didn't we know him when he was a kid? Isn't his daddy Joseph, aren't his brothers and sisters here with us? What is he talking about? What is he talking about? And then he basically told them, hush, I'm about to tell you. And then that's where we'll pick up in verse 47. So we made it all the way. That was 47 verses summarized. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. In verse 47, he said, truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In verse 52, at that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How in the world? He's telling them, I am the living bread. Whoever eats this won't die. And then they're sitting there going, did he just tell us we had to eat him? How is this going? They just don't, there's no connection. They, they have no idea what he's really saying. It's like, are we, is he saying we're going to have to cook and eat him? This got weird all of a sudden. I thought we were going to eat bread from, you know, and it was going to be good like yesterday. And now he's talking about we have to eat his flesh. And he says in verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like manna that your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. And he said all these things in the synagogue. So he's in a local church telling people they got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And not surprisingly, they were very confused by that. And most of them left. Most of them left. And then Jesus looked at his 12 disciples and he said, y'all probably want to leave too, huh? Y'all going to leave too? And, and one of the times that we can identify with the disciples in a good way, you know, a lot of times we look at like, well, you don't want to do this. They did this. You really don't want to do that. When Jesus told the crowd, you know, y'all are stuck on eating, but your ancestors got miracle food in the wilderness and yet they still died. I'm telling you that those who will believe and partake of this bread of life, who is me, will have eternal life. He's like, I'm talking about eternal life and you're talking about sandwiches. You can eat miracle bread all day and still die. You need eternal life. And then, like I said, 
They weren't, they weren't ready for it. Jesus is bringing in a new day in the likeness of the old, but so much better, taking it up a notch to a higher level, and they weren't ready for it. They wanted a sign. They were thinking manna. And he's telling you, I'm the sign. I'm already here. I am the answer. All you have to do is eat of the bread of life. They ate manna in the wilderness. They died. I'm telling you, eternal life is right here. And they're just turned around looking going, I just wanted a good miracle sandwich. And he's talking about cannibalism. I think I'm going to leave. I'm just going to go ahead and leave because they weren't ready. And Peter and the boys, the disciples, they still didn't understand what he meant. They had no clue. They're like, he just said, eat flesh and drink blood. I don't know. We're not supposed to do that, right? That was even in the law. You didn't eat the blood. You got the blood out. We don't eat the blood. What are you talking about? And, and Jesus looked at them and said, do y'all want to leave like everybody else left? And, and Peter and the boys, even though they didn't understand what he was talking about, what they did understand kept them close. You see how that can happen where I don't understand this part, God, but what I do understand about you is going to keep me close to you until I understand the rest of this. And, and Peter looked at him and said, we know you're the Holy One of God. Where else would we go? You're the only one that has a word. Now, he didn't say, yes, Lord, we understand. We're about to eat you. He didn't understand how that was going to work. He said, but what we do understand is that you're the Holy One of God. You alone have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? We're with you, even though I don't understand what you just said. Right? Even though they didn't understand what he just said. But he said, you know, y'all are focused on what you can get right now. And I'm telling you that you can have that and still die. You have a bigger problem. And I came to answer that problem. I am the living bread come down from heaven and whoever believes on me and partakes in this body, in this blood will have eternal life. So I wanted to start there and then you see this theme come up again in Luke 22. So turn there with me. And obviously we just did our big walk through the book of Luke. This will be familiar to most of you. So we won't spend a lot of time rehashing it, but you can't talk hardly about communion without going here. Luke 22, Jesus has come to Jerusalem with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. This is right at the time of his arrest and uh, false accusations, crucifixion and so on. And he's come to celebrate the Passover along with all of the other pilgrims and his disciples. And remember, Passover goes all the way back into the Old Testament to the book of Exodus. In the book of Genesis, you had Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the family that God took from nothing and made something. And then Jacob had uh, his sons, one of them whose name was Joseph and Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. And then because he was there, long story about Joseph. It's an awesome story. We don't have time today. But he ended up being the number two man to the Pharaoh in Egypt. And he got put over saving the lives of the people, not just in Egypt, but in the surrounding areas. And he had favor with Pharaoh. All of his family moved to Egypt. They were there. They grew. They multiplied. God blessed them. They became a nation within the nation of Egypt. And then there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, 
who wasn't friendly to the Israelites and who put them into slavery and bondage in the nation of Egypt. And we mentioned Moses earlier. God raised up Moses as a prophet leader to, to, as his mouthpiece to lead the people out of Egypt, out of captivity, through the wilderness and into the land that he had promised them. So Moses went before Pharaoh and said, the Lord says that you need to let these people go. You need to let his people go, release them and let them go. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? That's the attitude we find in the world. That's the attitude we can find in our heart. We go, I don't want to do that. Who are you saying said that now? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And then Moses told him, he said, well, because you're not letting him go, he's going to prove his might and his power to you. And it's going to come in the form of 10 plagues. I think that's how you say that. I was telling Abby, I had a professor that said plague. He said, Where, what's a plague? I was like, I don't know. I don't know what you just said. He's like, yes, this and that. Oh, you mean a plague. So anyway, either of you say it, tomato, tomato. And we don't have time to talk about the plagues, but I, I learned very recently, I wish I'd known it before, that each one of those plagues was God exposing one of the idols of Egypt, right? They worshiped the Nile. What did he do? He turned it to blood. They worshiped uh, the, 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 the cow god. I forgot the name. They worshiped the cow god. What did he do? Third of the livestock dead. I think that was the right account, right? They even worshiped a frog god. What did he do? Hey, here's a bunch of frogs. To show I'm the god of everything. And he still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he didn't listen. And so nine plagues went by with the worst one coming at the end. The death of the firstborn. He said every firstborn in the nation of Egypt is going to die. But... He made a way of escape for the people of God. He said, for the Israelites, take a lamb or a goat, one for each household from among your best. Kill it, cook it whole and eat it. And then take some of the blood and put it on your doorpost of your dwelling as a sign. And he said, that night, I don't want you to put your pajamas on. I want you to be dressed and ready to go. I don't want you to put yeast in your bread because you will not have time for it to rise. You are leaving tonight. Death, because of the blood that's on the doorpost, the death that's going to pass across the nation of Egypt is going to pass over your house because of the blood of the lamb that's on the door. And he's like, you want, I want you to remember this that you were delivered out of Egypt by God alone. Y'all didn't swing a sword. You didn't fight anybody. You didn't do anything. I defeated this large nation, one of the most powerful nations in the world. I defeated them by my own hand. And I want you to celebrate this Passover every year as a special festival so that you remember that. You remember that you didn't get yourself out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt because as the you, you, as you move out of here you're going to your families you're going to grow you're going to have kids and grandkids and they're not going to have been here for this they're not going to see this so every year when you celebrate the Passover they're going to ask you why are we doing this and you'll be able to tell them because the Lord God saved us from the nation of Egypt out of the place of slavery and into the promised land. And they observed it all the way up until the time of Jesus. It had been, it had been observed for over 1500 years. This is going on. And when Jesus comes, it's still a really big deal. And that's where we are in Luke 
22. He's having the Passover meal with his disciples in 22 and 14. It says, when the hour came to celebrate the Passover, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it's been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. We've got to throw that in there. We've got to remember Judas. But he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So what's he talking about? What did he say? He said, this is my body. Well, now we're remembering what he said in John 6, aren't we? This is my blood. This is the, new co- the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Remember, he, he told them, John 6, I'm the bread that came from heaven. You got to partake of this flesh and this blood to have everlasting life. And then he gives them this Passover. The last Passover uh, that, that he was there for became the first, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this, observe this so that you won't forget what's about to happen. Why? Same principle as the Passover. There's going to be kids that come along that don't don't see what's about to happen. This is going to be truth you can touch. This is going to be something that you can do that's going to help you remember what I'm accomplishing for you. It's not just say something. It's not just think a certain way. It is I want you to physically do this. That same remembrance principle as the Passover, except it's better. And it says he took the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Partake of this flesh, partake of this blood and you will have eternal life. And he told him in John six, whoever doesn't doesn't have life at all. And he wasn't surprised talking about cannibalism. That's why that never caught on. He was talking to them, telling them without telling them that he was going to lay down his life, his body and his blood, and that it would be sufficient to usher in all who would believe and partake in his sacrifice into everlasting life. The answer that we needed to the problem that we had, but that we couldn't reach because death is the end of every man. That's where we all end up. And that was the problem that we couldn't have. We didn't have in ourselves the answer for. And he said, I came to be the answer so that everyone who would partake of what I'm going to provide would have eternal life. And he wanted us to remember it, to observe it, to never forget it and to tell others when they ask, what are you doing? I'm remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm remembering that I was enslaved in Egypt. When I was enslaved in my sin, it was like the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt. And just like they didn't get themselves out, I did not get myself out. I couldn't get myself 
out. I'm remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. I've been invited to sit at his table and partake in his sacrifice. It's where I find my life. It's like Passover, but he is the better Passover. He is the perfection of Passover. He's the completion of Passover. He is my deliverance. So you see how when we come to the communion table and we take the elements that we can see him there, that we, we are included in that all those who love his appearing because we can see him at the table. I love it. The first of that passage in verse 14. So when the hour came, he reclined at the table with them and he said, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover meal with you. The New Living Translation said, I am eager to share this with you. His heart is eager to share this blessed meal with them. It's eager to share it with us, to share with us his sacrifice, his body given for us, his blood poured out for us to deliver us and all others who would come, who would come and believe, deliver them from from sin, deliver them from death. That's what we see when we come to the communion table. I read just this last week when we think about the love of God, because we all believe that God loves us. Right. But we can start to believe that his love for us is infected with a type of disappointment. Right. Because he knows us so well. And that's how we love. It's like, oh, I love you, but man, you sure have disappointed me in this, 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 and this. And so we expect him to be that same way. That his heart towards us would be like our heart towards ourselves and towards others. That we expect, yeah, he loves me, but I think it may be infected with disappointment. Why? Because I'm not where I ought to be. But the table reminds us that he welcomed sinners to come. Sinners to believe, sinners to partake. He knew who we were. He knows who we are. He knows who we're not yet. He knows who we will be. And he invites us to the table and he says, I'm eager to share this with you. I I, I have fervently desired to eat this meal with you. Romans tells us that it was while we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that he came and gave his life for us. It said we, we, we have a hard time getting a line up for somebody who wants to die for a good person. He said, but Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So that misperception that we have that he loves us, but he's still pretty disappointed in us. That's not his heart because Jesus paid for more than that. Yeah. Amen. And that's what we remember. That's what we see at the table. That's when we partake in the ones who love his appearing. So when we receive here in a few minutes, I want you to remember that, that he's eager to meet you at that table. You're going to feel unworthy because in ourselves we are. But we remember, that's why we're doing it. We remember, I'm not worthy for this, but you gave your body, you shed your blood so that I could receive something that I wasn't worthy of. It's a beautiful glimpse of him and a communication of his love for us. He's given us something tangible that we can hold in our hands. Now, there's one thing missing 
from the description of this Lord's Supper. You know, they were there having the Passover. He talked about the bread. He talked about the cup. There were multiple cups. There's a whole um, event. You know, you hear people talk a Passover Seder and having that. This is what they were doing. But there's the, he it doesn't mention one of the key aspects of the Passover when it talks about it right here. The part that it doesn't mention specifically is the lamb. The lamb that they took from amongst the best that they had, that they uh, killed and cooked and ate of. It doesn't mention that because he is there with them reclined at the table. It didn't take the focus off of him and point it to, yeah, and then they had, you know, good, you know, lamb there too as part of the Passover. But the lamb was there. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is there reclined with them at the table. His blood sufficient for the doorpost of every heart, every single one. They, you, you don't partake of the meal in order to be accepted. You partake in the meal because through what it represents, you were accepted. Amen. So we're going to serve here in just a moment. And we're going to take a, take, take a few minutes, not too long, but a few minutes. I want to rush through this. Um, the question may come up in your heart. Well, who's eligible to receive? Who's eligible to take of, you know, the elements to take communion? Because sometimes people have rules. The, the rule is anybody who would come. Anybody who would come to the table. If you're not a believer, you're not a Christ follower, you can feel free to let that pass. If you have a different view of communion and it would violate your conscience to receive it today with us, feel free to let it to let it pass. And and these are a little bit different, obviously, than what they had. You know, this is uh, capitalism at its best coming up with better ideas for us to be able to receive. But what I like about it in that Jesus in this telling of the Lord's Supper, it didn't say he, he took some legit special bread and broke it. Like he brought this bread special for this and he was ready for it and he had special ingredients. It's in, in the New Living, it just says he took some bread. And in the, the CSB, it says he took bread, just some bread. And he, and he broke it and gave it to them. And then he just took the cup. Hey, I'm going to take this cup. We'll use it. And it's about how I approach it and how I receive it. Amen. It's interesting how you'll open this. You'll see some of y'all have used these before. Some of you hadn't. There's a top piece that you pull off. And you've got the wafer there. That's your bread. And then you've got the next tab that you pull up. And there's the cup. Amen. And in Corinthians... Paul, who wrote to Timothy about all those who love his appearing, would write about taking the, partaking of the Lord's Supper. And he said in Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, he says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what's the point in proclaiming his death? I'm proclaiming what he paid for in his death death, his burial and his resurrection. 
that he saved me out of slavery and bondage to sin and delivered me into the promised land. I'm not like those in the Old Testament who got to eat the bread of angels and still died in the wilderness. In him, the better bread, the bread of life that came down, I have eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says because of this, because it's such a pivotal remembrance in your life. He's like, judge yourself. Look into your heart. Examine yourself and say, Lord, I want to I with a right heart take this. I want to I receive everything you have for me in this. Amen. Like you want to come up and you can play as we as we serve. I thought, you know, I was like, well, we could serve it like this. We could serve it like this. I was like, I want us to take just a minute and I'm going to go around just me with the bowl. And it's going to take a little bit longer, but I think that's good. I think that's going to give us a few moments here so that we can think on what we're about to do by thinking on what he's already done. Amen. So I'm going to serve and then I'll come back and uh, bless it and we will receive together. Okay. Amen. that I miss. I'm not the best. Put your hand up. Let me know.
blessing to be able to sit at the table with him. Amen. Can open there. There's been times where we did that with the lights down low. It can be a little complicated. First, I want you to take, take the bread in your hand and we'll bless it and then we'll partake together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the body of Christ that was given for us. The bread that you sent down from heaven, better than any that had ever come because in partaking of that sacrifice, we would find eternal life. When he taught us to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. I thank you that every day we find the bread of life laid out before us. And I thank you for all the blessing that we find in that. The blessing of knowing you and seeing the sacrifice of Christ demonstrated clearly before us to know that we don't have to be in bondage any longer to our sin and our slavery to Egypt, the things of this world. But when your body was broken, we were made whole. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Let's partake together. the cup. Jesus, you said when you handed that cup to them that this is the new covenant paid for by your blood that we were able to be brought in to the family of God because your blood was shed. The sin debt that we owe that would have required the shedding of our blood that still wouldn't have paid our way to get home. You paid for us. And you did it while we were still sinners. You did it while we were ungodly. You did it when we had no strength in ourselves to get ourselves up out of the mess that we were in. And then I thank you that you not only saved us then, but you save us every single day. You preserve us. And as we partake of this today, we proclaim the dying of the Lord Jesus, knowing that he didn't stay dead, but he rose to prove that the shedding of his blood was sufficient once and for all time. I thank you for not only sacrificing that for us, but for sharing this table with us today. We know that you are just as eager to welcome us to this table as you were on that night so many years ago when you said, I have fervently desired to partake of this because you knew everything that it would mean. And I thank you for the meaning we find in it today. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the cup together. Father, it's in this that we remember all that we were, all that you did, and all that has resulted because of it. 
We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. And we thank you for our seat at the table. In Jesus' name, amen.